Welcome to Let's Talk About Gay Stuff, where we discuss the week in LGBTQ history. Welcome to season two of Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. Oh my god, wow. yeah, second season. Second season, girls. Seasons have changed. <laughs> People change. No? Not Kendall. Anyone? He's a- <laughs> Judging by my nipples, it's a colder season. You're you're oh, a full on woman now. Now that you're now that you're married. Are you married this season? Still not married. No. Nope. Still not married. Mm-hmm. Season two still ain't married. Mm-hmm. We no. took a high. We didn't even take a high. Hopefully by the time. reunion. <laughs> the recap uh, episode I'll yes. have a ring uh, Season 2 But anyways Well it's in case you're just Catching up with us We are Thomas Tony Kendall And this week we're reviewing The week of May 31st to June 6th And we'll discuss Walt Whitman Anderson Cooper And YMCA At the beginning The creation of Why are you gay I mean YMCA uh, So yeah Are you gonna do the dance? We dressed up That's FYI a, for listeners We a YouTube, up this week A YouTube live Of people <laughs> Of doing, we're gonna live stream it. Uh, the uh, YMCA dance. Well, uh, we've got some special guests in the audience. We've got uh, Spencer and Chris from Arts Movie Podcast. <laughs> Hello, guys. Chris has a grocery bag full of like alcohol bottles that he's pulling out. <laughs> These guys just celebrated their one Drink year anniversary. <laughs> a toothbrush. If you haven't listened to uh, our spoopy podcast, you should take a listen. If you like true crimes, true murders, murder mysteries, uh, scary stories, our spoopy podcast with uh, Spencer and Chris are the way to go. You can find them at ourspoopypodcast.com. As well as on all the socials, Facebook, Insta, Twitter, and whatnot. But you can only see them on Twitter if you're not Chris because he blocked himself. He did block himself <laughs> from the account. Uh, that's he needs a, an intern. <laughs> yeah. He does. He needs a social media manager. He does. He does. Uh, so uh, what happened this week? I mean, we're uh, we're in June. So I mentioned uh, the May thirty first through June the sixth. So uh, June marks Pride Month, Woo! which is postponed, but you know, yeah. you we'll know. still celebrate. We can't have Pride until they reset that date. Yeah, exactly. No, no Pride until then. <laughs> uh, no, but there will, I mean, there will still be lots of virtual things. We have uh, in discussions to do a, maybe a special Pride thing that will. Well, how are all these people going to take home a twink from virtually? Not in Houston. The Their gay bars are open. Pride now. twink. <laughs> in Houston, uh, the gay bars are mm-hmm. open. No doubt there will probably be some big fi- uh, you know, pride festivities, and you can catch an STD and coronavirus. I mm. told you, grinders on fire during the quarantine. Shit, that's how they're doing it now. That's how these kids do it these that's days. That's how they do it. This, so uh, anything, uh, any pride thoughts? Or you, so you just your thought is everything's canceled, so therefore... Um, you know, nothing like what, well, maybe they were scheduled for a, a cooler month. Well, but yeah, cause I, well, right now Houston's plan is you had to postpone it, but Dallas, they always do theirs. In, and I think Atlanta does theirs in October too, because of the heat. Whereas Houston, they've always been very, no, we want to be, you know, true to like the Stonewall riots and do it in June. Good old Houston. We refuse to, uh, uh, I mean, we'll, yeah, to <laughs> give I which I appreciate. We've talked about this before. I appreciate yeah. the sentiment, but frick, it's hot. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to keep a lash on in June in Houston. <laughs> Take it off. <laughs> Take it all off. Sorry, wear them. You know that's why you don't wear them. Yeah. Oh, your little tiny lashes. Uh, so anything else? As Pride Month at, at June, you know that's when I w- I'll be interested to see what's going on with corporations. How they're going to, you know, a lot of this is how they they're going to show up once a year to support. Oh, Kroger's got their Pride. Uh, Selection? Do they? Target usually is on. on is that the cucumber? Them. That's in the produce. Yeah. 
Well, it is no Rain, rainbow colored. They have this little kiosk right by the checkout. That's it's got just a lot of like magnets and stickers and. <laughs> well, like, some of us need a plantain. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, she's a size queen now. The jumbo plantain. <laughs> We're soft and tender. <laughs> mushy squash oh my gosh now what that we're we 40 no. <laughs> it's like mm. uh so Tony needs a gourd. uh the skittles group announced that they're doing a little partnership with glad which is kind of fun some of the proceeds from their sales are going to uh glad during pride month but uh in a ironic twist they're taking out the rainbow usually their whole thing isn't isn't their motto taste the rainbow yeah. and uh, they're removing the rainbow from because this year the packaging is just sad or this month the rainbow belongs to Pride, not Skittles. So, yeah. yeah. So I so mean, it's just going to be what? Black and white, right? Yeah. The, the, the packaging are just going to be gray. I like, don't get it. I don't either. I mean, I, I mean, we read all read the article. Like I, But I, I was like looking for the, like I flipped the, not that you can flip it when you're reading it online, but I was like, where's the rest? I kept scrolling. It's another corporation that was like, let's capitalize on the gay well, thing. Skittles well, was like, we can't add a rainbow because we already have it, so month, let's take it away. You have the rainbow, yeah. gay people. We'll it's take the it one the thing they could do to yeah, appeal to the gays. Yeah. But Skittles isn't even an original name to Skittles. The first Skittles was a um, stripper. Oh, welcome <laughs> to the stage, Skittles. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, like you said, I think it's cool that they're donating a dollar. Um, Just one dollar total? <laughs> well, they will make millions, <laughs> the cap? Of, millions off this campaign, and it will only be a uh, dollar. That's, that's pretty much how it's going to work. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> but cool, cool for them. I mean... You know, but uh, Pride Month, I mean, what? why do we celebrate Pride Month other than it's, you know, the one year anniversary? Well, we celebrated that last week from our podcast. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's the year we, you know, it's uh, the time where we remember Stonewall and all the things that happened there. But, it, you know, looking at what we've done with the podcast, not to just be overly gratuitous about our our podcast, but it, it is a reminder, like there's so much more. You know, we look at Stonewall as the big event. Right. And that's why we celebrate pride i mean that's the impetus for celebrating pride but it is uh it's so much more than that right i mean there's so many events and people and heroes yeah and, and i feel yeah black and white skittles black and white skittles that's 2020 that's uh, uh thank you uh frank kameny going back to black <laughs> and uh uh all the other you know all the other pioneers that we've discussed uh for <laughs> your hard efforts we now have earned a rainbow list skittles back <laughs> <laughs> this is what harvey died they're for. doing their part thank, the you, only thing they can thank do. you harvey milk and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Edie windsor all your <laughs> all your efforts have but i would say it's like president james buchanan i mean even in uh, not even our lifetimes. I mean, even like 10, 15 years ago, like corporations okay, kind of shied life. away from, uh, <laughs> you know, really like sponsoring pride and only select, I feel, companies and stuff. And now it's, I mean, you know, some people say, oh, like, you know, everybody's slapping a rainbow flag on stuff. But I mean, it is good that they're acknowledging it. You know, it's it shows we're kind of part of the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's sponsored by Bank of America. I mean, we talk yeah. about that. I'm not. I'm not opposed to that. I appreciate. Like, I get it. I mean, and there are the. I mean, I was listening to a podcast a while back about the the kind of this the schism. Is that the right word? Between you know the the hardcore like you know pride is pride and we should be celebrating the, the achievements of the community, uh, and also kind of it's just a celebration. And you know we're not gonna. We've been such an outcast to society. Like who are we to? say no to joining our celebration. Yeah, yeah. Like if you want to come and celebrate with yeah. us, great. And T-Mobile, uh, you know, Citibank, whatever, like, we'll, yeah. we'll, well, well, and I would say, um, you know, 
I feel sometimes like in a work environment, especially historically, you know, the gay thing can be taboo, a taboo subject or whatever. But I remember last year, um, the Monday after Pride, I went into my coworker's office. I was like, hey, how was your weekend, this and that? And he's like, oh, good. He goes, I, um, you know, I just did stuff around the house. He goes, on Saturday, my wife and some of her friends went to the parade, blah, blah, blah. And so it was just rolled off the tongue that, like, it was the parade. It wasn't like, oh, they went to the Pride Parade. And it was just, oh, she and her girlfriends went to the parade. And it wasn't like they knew a bunch of gay people or whatever. It's like, oh, the Pride Parade is going on. Let's go check it out. Kind of like, oh, the Fourth of July Parade is going on. Let's check it out or whatever. And so um, it just kind of were more accepted into just day-to-day. It's a lot more family-friendly now. Yeah, I'm cool with that, though. I like that. I mean, I don't know. but See, when they first started, we first, I'd say in the last, I'd say probably 15 years ago when the gays were becoming more accepted, a lot of people in the gay community were like, we don't want well, that's yeah. what I was your corporate-sponsored gay was pride parade. Like, we want to be edgy. We don't want to put on clothes for you. Like, so, why? Why should we? So where do you fall on that spectrum? Because I, I would say, I'm, I'll speak a little bit for you, Tony, because you and I came out about the same time. Like, uh, you know, we came out when it was a bit more popular to come popular in a, in a, yeah. in a cheeky sense, but it was, there were more people out, uh, and it was, it was not a big backlash. It was not a big controversy. People weren't getting shunned like Ellen. Whereas Kendall, you came out maybe almost 10 years before we did. Uh, and you'd gone to these gay pride parades before they were mainstream. Like, do you have a sense of like, Oh, I wish it was back to like the good old days where we could just be in speedo. Although people are in speedos and women are in topless, with painted well the men are topless and the women are in speedos right of gay pride parades so i mean do you have a scent do you have a uh i mean i i understand why people are like we don't want it to change it was the same thing with the gay marriage debate like yeah a lot of gays were like we don't want your stinking straight marriage like you're telling us to live a heteronormative lifestyle you know like we're not begging for your little yeah. crumbs to be like you um there's always going to be progress like if you want to be edgy, there are places to be edgy. I guess my thoughts are um, it doesn't have to. We don't have to all. It's natural progress. Like so, for example, in Houston, for our listeners that are outside of Houston, our Pride celebration, which is during the day, and then parade, which is at night, it used to be in the gay neighborhood of Montrose, which is very neighborhoody. And so, I mean, it was just kind of really crammed in there, and like the parade was on Westheimer. And wait, what are we talking about being crammed in? Uh, we're talking about the family-friendly version right oh, now. Oh, yes, yes. You're and about so, I don't know, about five, six years ago, Houston decided to move it downtown, and there was a lot of, like, controversy. People like, oh, it needs to be in Montrose because that's our neighborhood. And my thoughts at the time were, you know, everything is downtown, like the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the like every major celebration Patty's is Day, downtown. Like yeah. yeah. And if we're in Montrose, you know, yeah, you can be a bit more yourselves, but it's like, oh, shove them in their corner. Don't make them part of the mainstream whereas moving it downtown it makes it a bit more mainstream and so, neighborhood yeah and so you're more socially acceptable my thing is even as part of pride because the downtown celebration is massive right so last year we didn't even go we went to like montrose because they have their own little street fair where people are you know probably dressed a lot skimpy or whatever so whatever however you want to celebrate at least in a, a big city like houston there's an avenue to celebrate. If you want to like wear hardly anything, you can go to the certain bars and stuff where you can do that. But if you're like, no, I want to take my sister and her kids, you can go downtown. So I think that's the more legitimate and family, not legitimate, the more family friendly it is. Yeah. Some people might say, well, that's not my thing, but it's like, you can find your avenue. Whereas this opens up an avenue for other people. Right. I think what some people are worried about is 
straight families going in and saying, my family's here. You shouldn't be doing this and that. You know, that whole thing of like. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's where I feel like that's part of pride. And so if you bring your family there and you do see something, you know, I mean, I feel, yeah. yeah, Well, you don't want your baby who's nursing to see a man who's nursing as well. Because that could be confusing, I think. Well, as one of my good friends says, why not? It's natural. But that could happen. Kindle. You know, it's 2020. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I like going uh, downtown. I'd been to one. I don't know if we've told the story, but I think we have. Uh, Kendall about the the first time I went to a pride parade with you in Houston, but oh, that was epic. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the it's going downtown. So I took a nap on the highway. <laughs> it's it's very it's I like the sense because it reminds me because we went to the DC ones and those were very uh, those were in DC. It was very mainstream. Very every popular. congressman suddenly in around oh. 2010 wanted to be waving a flag yeah but i mean i i'm i'm okay with that like i mean i know they're trying to get votes but i'm like yeah if you want our vote you got to show up because before you didn't you wanted my vote and didn't show up so it's just exactly like, yeah. so yeah you had needs to show up yeah and that might get you to show up to other places as well like uh to our chamber bath of commerce house. meeting to our bathhouses to our no oh, to, you know they're all the to our hrc you know, local chapter meetings those sorts of things so uh to tapping your foot at the bathroom stalls in the library I mean, whatever, you know, so airports, yeah, airports, whatever. Well, it's 2020. We can tap our feet anywhere now. Yeah. yeah. You just tap, <laughs> no, actually now you're tapping the screen on Grindr and be like, yes, uh, that's how it works. Anyways. So, I mean, I mean, as much as progress as we made, we still have ignorant people, uh, uh, you know, coming at us uh, recently. Although it's odd how things circulate. I think people are just getting bored. Like they keep scrolling on Twitter or Facebook and they're crumbing, coming across these old articles. They're but one circulated recently in the last couple of weeks about a woman in Nebraska who was uh, filing a suit against homosexuals, like all homosexuals. All homosexuals, yeah. Every single one of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> now, she filed it in 2015. 15, which was the year we got gay marriage. So right. Maybe it was, but yeah. a lot of it was released recently. But yeah, yeah so the, the article was just written recently. It right. wasn't like written in 20. Yeah, that's so. what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how people are stumbling. Because yeah. this is not the first time I've seen an article pop up where yeah. it's like, well, that's old news. But I think folks, much like uh, on you're seeing on iTunes, uh, like uh, these Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey and Madonna, their old 1980s and 1990s album hitting number one. I think folks are just bored because we've all been quarantined. And so um, they stumbled across this because this article, I mean, it was written recently, but there's nothing, I don't, I'm not aware that any action is taken. No, it was, yeah. Yeah. So she, this woman in Nebraska was just basically angry. She could not believe that her state of Nebraska was ex- just ex- being complicit and em- accepting, or embrace, yeah, yeah. bending over for the gays, yeah. yeah, bending over for the gays, and so I'm like, only if you knew what was happening in the cornfields, woman, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, cornholes, <laughs> the cornholes, uh, but yeah, all this stuff was happening. Uh, she was upset, and so she hand wrote, she she put her complaint in the handwritten notice and send it off. Uh, of course, the courts haven't picked it up, and she basically wanted the court to rule like. Once and for all, is this like an abomination and a sin or not? So what do you think? Is it an abomination, a sin? That's the only reason I'm into this club. <laughs> exactly. I want to be sinful. You're still rebel. Right. You're still rebelling against daddy. Oh, Kendall, we've talked about this. <laughs> well, daddy had a firm hand. <laughs> that's what, what, he, that's what he said about you. You're going to be a tongue lashing. Oh, I no. <laughs> all right. Daddy. Any, anything else going on? Are you married yet, Kendall? When are you getting married? Oh, my God. Why do you have to rub it in his face <laughs> so much? I needed to segue before we talked about our... Uh, there's a pandemic, a deadly pandemic. Okay. Thank you. And it has it gives pushed you, back my wedding plans, much like pride. It gives you a reason to wear a veil, though. 
No. A black veil now. A black veil. <gasps> Who died? No, just It'll kidding. Be white. Uh, it wouldn't. The it wouldn't have been a single life. It, yeah, it wouldn't have been white anyway. You off white. Well, our wedding rings are in the junk drawer. <laughs> That's where we're storing them, like where the pins are and where I put my keys. You have a junk drawer? Mm-hmm. That's where they come about. Let's make it your junk. That's called a ringworm. That's not a real. <laughs> you should fix that. They got cream for that. So every time I get my keys out, I see the ring and it's sad. Oh. That actually just made me really sad. I know, yeah. And and whenever someone brings it up, like constantly, like on, on a podcast or something, mm-hmm. it hurts every time. Once like, I'm op- like I'm opening that junk drawer again. R- salt in the wound, ripping the band. I come here to get away from that junk drawer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh okay, well, uh, that's a better segue from, from what we were originally talking about. To, I'm uh, sad about these Skittles, though. It is. It's you know, Who wants to open a black and white sad pandemic bag of skittles oh, you're so racist but there's rainbow inside i think that's part of the the charm like it's gray but it's rainbow inside and the rainbow is for you gay people exactly the lgbtq community yes. until june 31st uh there is no 31st in june we can't even have 31 days <laughs> <laughs> of course they chose pride month on the they shortest month right <laughs> so the 30 day month they're gonna move it from june to february i know what they're doing exactly yeah. oh my god we have to move it this year now it's permanently so one less. Two days. Two less we've days, already yeah. screwed over the african-american community with that so that's i mean they're the ones Everyone who short month. we should oh give them god. at least august i mean come on women have 31 days Hispanics. Well, I think August is when Essence Fest is in New Orleans, and that's the African American. Interestingly, so his, Hispanics like have uh, half of half of September and half of October. So I don't, I'm not even sure how it works. We don't have a full month, but I, I guess we were supposed to have uh, it in September, but because we're always late, it just got moved to mid-September. And <laughs> like, well, we got to give you a full thirty days because that's well, what it's we're not even official. Get, it's undocumented. Get out of here. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to give us a, <laughs> a nice, like, leaping point before we got into our topics, and I got nothing. I mean, you went and, and dropped that joke, uh, not to be affiliated with any of our sponsors here. Uh, speaking of, before we dive into our first topic, Tony, let's talk about uh, how a recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feelings of stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. And while we are growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our, that our stress can have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there is a synchronization between stress hormones and humans and their dogs. If you are a dog parent, you probably know that your puppies are very good at reading your body language and can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. We're always working to reduce our stress in any way we can. But what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our dogs? Baked Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs. And Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. Check out BakedBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits it may provide. Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 10% off uh, from now until whenever you want to use this promo code that we have just for our listeners. Uh, that's GayStuff10. That's G-A-Y-S-T-U-F-F-1-0. Baked Bones is an LGBTQ-owned and operated business and is based in Houston, Texas. Baked Bones also donates proudly 10% of all of their profits to no-kill shelters in the U.S., how fun. Baked Bones. Love Baked Bones. Yeah, they're good. Good company. They, uh, they I haven't c- tried them yet. You should. They taste really good. Well, they smell really good. Uh, they do. They smell like apples and 
because they're made with apple. They're made with like only seven hu- ingredients. Human ingredient, yeah. human, yeah. human organic human yeah. grading ingredients. If you watch their, their it has CBD on it. Mm-hmm. Do they have any with um, ecstasy? No. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> if you watch their uh, their Instagram, you can see that you know there's That's pictures of dog teeth. of one of the owners, Chris uh, Bacon. The uh, Bacon, you know, he's got his his apron on sometimes, and he's he's just the he's, apron. He's, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. <laughs> got to check his OnlyFans out for that. Uh, I don't think he has ones, by the way. He calls it his bonely. We just lost. We just <laughs> lost. <laughs> just our sponsorship. Pull, pull the sponsorship. <laughs> Uh, but now they're all racing. Sorry. Now their sales skyrocket. Like, they're like, like, oh, let's. <laughs> it's like they probably benefit from that. Anyways, um, wow, racy. Uh, let's talk about um, <laughs> Walt Whitman. A classy topic. God, Kindle. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right. So today I'm going to talk about Walt Whitman, who we all know is you know famous poet from the 1800s. Um, but you, since we talk about gay stuff, we're going to talk about was he gay. Uh, oh, we're getting gossipy here. Huh? We've done it before. We started off yeah, yeah. controversies last year with James Buchanan. And then Abe Lincoln, yeah. Abe Lincoln. So, um, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to choose this topic. Uh, so b- before we talk about sexuality and that whole issue, we'll just kind of talk a little bit about him. Because uh, he has, uh, I don't know, pretty amazing life and legacy as far as his writing and his poetry. So he was born on Long Island, but his family moved to Brooklyn when he was really young, and it's where he lived most of his life except for a brief stint in D.C. He was born really poor, and so when he was um, 11, he actually had to quit school and go to work to help support his family. And he worked for a lawyer for a bit, but then he got a job as a for a newspaper doing the printing and the typesetting, and that's where he kind of learned that trade because it was a – sophisticated trade where he had to like be an apprentice and stuff so he did that and when they were doing that if there was like minor gaps here and there they would have to write to fill in those gaps so that's where he kind of got his start and um his whole life he pretty much never really held a job long term he was always moving around but uh did he i mean that so when you back in then you uh you became a writer and nowadays you just become a podcast host yeah, same. Similar. We're all office managers. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of Kendall a lot. A little bit. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, but Kendall's really gay. We know that. Well, I do. think he was too, but we'll get into it. But um, you convinced so, me to be one night. I did. Wait, you forced him. No, he forced God. me. I still maintain I was roofied that night. But oh my God. So uh, he started kind of writing more and more, and then when he was uh, in in his when he was about 16, he wanted to do that full time, but then, you know, it was just hard to make a living and there was an economic collapse at the time. So pretty much from his teenage years to his thirties, he kept writing more and more and he would do like essays, a lot of journalist, journalistic work. Um, but he always kind of had to work to pay the bills. So he went back and forth between, um, it was mostly like printing and, you know, typesetting for newspapers or several periodicals but he tried teaching a couple times and that didn't really work out he was just kind of unfulfilled or whatever so his passion was writing and he did more than that more and more of that but you know had to pay the bills and then um when he was in his 30s he got more into poetry and uh (laughs) exactly so when he was 36 in 1855 he wrote the leaves of grass and this is really what Put him on the map. Kiddo just got excited. He was like, grass? Who's got grass? Mm-hmm. Someone? Well, well he'll get excited when it, he listens Well, I thought he said ass, and then I got more excited when I thought he said grass. <laughs> remember our July 4th episode? Right. Uh-oh. Gonna, we're gonna I get, don't remember it. <laughs> so, oh, this will rekindle. So he writes Leaves of Grass, which um, 
really put him on the map. And the reason he wrote it is Ralph Waldo Emerson um, wrote some kind of a, an opinion piece, and he encouraged writers to write about American virtues and vices. And so uh, Walt Whitman had kind of had these feelings. He was kind of an anti-establishment or anti-norm you know, type. He was very artistic, bohemian type. And so he had these feelings, and so he just decided to write about it. So it was this uh, super long poetry uh, book, and it didn't really follow traditional like poetry rhyme and structure, but uh, overall poetry. Um, so his – Walt Whitman was very – he loved America because he loved that we had freedom and that we had a democracy – but he did admit the things he didn't like about America, he felt America was very arrogant, expansionist. He didn't, he didn't like slavery. He didn't like what we did uh, to Native Americans. He felt America was racist, hierarchical, and exclusive. Was and he wrong? He was not wrong. And so he f- but traditionally, you didn't write or, you right. know, it wasn't a common. Well, to this day, if you say something bad about poor little America. Yeah, and so it wasn't a popular opinion. Was it, as soon as I said that, I was like, there's going to be someone who's going to be like, oh, these guys are, you know. Yeah. But So it wasn't a popular opinion to have. But, the, you know, and he did say, I love America, but we are very sub- subordinate in many ways to other nations. Yeah, I would say, I just because I uh, we had a, a conversation that, uh, who was I talking to? I don't remember. Uh, maybe it was Yourself. Uh, could have been the second in the mirror. Uh but it was just like it, it. We've come a long way, right? There are still big. There are still the people who are filing, you know, cases yeah. against homosexuals, right? Um, but it's it's now you're on the fringe, right? Before you used to be part of the majority, and not so much just the majority. Uh, point, it was yeah. part of like you were. It was legal, accepted, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It was in the you know the law books that you couldn't be gay, right? Yeah. You get arrested for and that sort of stuff. And it was just socially acceptable right. to have those appeal. So then, you know, the laws uh, regressed, right? I mean, they were more in favor of, of, you know, LGBT community. And so, but you could still have that opinion, right? I mean, and so finally, uh, you know, the, the mainstream perception of about, about gays and lesbians and transgender folks has transitioned, not so much tra- transitioned completely for transgender folks in the terms of, um, you know, the acceptance. I mean, we still have a long ways to go for, for the trans community, but it is becoming more like if you say something about the LGBT community now people are like you're crazy like you can't say things like that in public um, in public yeah well uh, let's add the in public part but 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 even still like in public whereas before you could say that like in oh in, yeah, yeah in Walt Lemon's time like to say something in favor you were on the French now if you say something against the LGBT community so we've come a long way and I get it that you know we still have a ways to go um, but we do we do need to you know mark the the milestones in terms of like you you can say things that uh, I mean, when you're a crazy, not crazy, when you're a person in Nebraska, in Nebraska that's citing these, you know, going to sue all of oh, all yeah, homosexuals, all of, yeah. like you're not, people don't look at you favorably. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Walt Whitman was, people weren't looking at him favorably because he was being pro-LGBT and, or, you know, pro-minorities, right? Yeah, and so um, when he wrote this, at the time, there was a movement to write more historically everything had been like kind of religious based and very factual. And so there was this movement to talk about like your senses and your feelings and nature. And so he talked about all of that in leaves of grass, but he also talked very much about sensuality, sex as pleasurable and explicitly was very graphic with homosexual, uh, 
X in this. And so it was very uh, controversial because uh, like the artistic community applauded him. They were like, people hadn't written like this before. This is awesome. You know, it's like we need to start talking about this stuff or but of course, you know, people are like, this is immoral, it's filth, it's obscene, it's like, I mean, pornographic. And, you know, some people labeled it as. Um, but now, I mean, you know, a couple centuries later, it's really kind of a central work of American literature and American poetry, which is pretty cool. So that was kind of what put him on the map. And he, you know, for the rest of his life, he um, continued writing and... He's kind of like um, known as like the poet of democracy and really like somebody had said, you can't really know America unless you've like read some of Walt Whitman. Um, but he did, uh, you know, he always, you know, had to work to pay the bills. During the Civil War, he actually moved to D.C. in order to volunteer for the Army Hospital. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And so there he had various government jobs. And one of his jobs, he was doing a fine job. And his boss found out who was the Department of the Interior uh, had uh, found out about the leaves of grass, and so he fired him because he so, felt it was... Um, you're going to get into this, but I'm like, this is just more, uh, to me, of evidence in favor of him being gay. Because I mean, most pe- men were going into the war, right? I mean, that's what you did to prove your masculinity and uh, yeah, to yeah. fight for your country. Yep. Whereas, I mean, we used the term earlier, uh, the gays are usually the office managers. They're like, they'll be the nurses or whatever. I mean, I know this is bad stereotypes, but I yeah. mean, that's kind of the role we play. Like, yeah. we, we'll manage... Well, he was in his 40s at that time, but, but yeah. I mean, yeah. So... On the topic of, you know, is he gay or not? Um, well, and actually, I don't think it's... So, is he gay? It's... As I started looking into this, um, you know, some people are like, it's it's a given. It's a fact. Like, you know, it's not even a discussion point. And some people are like, oh, not really have... You can't really find anybody that says, no, he wasn't gay. Um, it's more of a... These certain things don't necessarily mean he was gay. And so... Is it is that because we're trying? Is that a lens of like, listen, we don't need to stereotype gays, or just because? Well, pe- so the reasons that people say, oh, he was obviously gay, is he was very explicit about uh, homosexuality in his poetry and his writings, and you know, some people say, and you know, apparently, if you read it, the parts where he talks about homosexuality, he's a lot more passionate than when he talks about because he he did sleep with women mm-hmm. and. He's a lot more passionate than when he talks about heterosexual relations. And he talks about, like, sensuality and, like, you know, pleasure and stuff. Um, but if we could, if I, we could, I mean, you you think, yeah, he slept with women. But, I mean, that's not an indicator. I mean, I've slept with them and you've slept with women. Tony, I mean, you, you got that one we're pregnant. Kind of. Well, no, yeah. So. But, but I, I say this in the context of, like, you thought. I, I enjoyed it, right? But you you said that, I mean, you said you liked it, but it was not something that you were like, oh, I need to do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so, but you also said recently when we did the recap, like it was a way to um, prove to yourself that you weren't gay. Like, well, not prove to yourself, but you were like, I'm going to do this yeah. because this is what I need to yeah, do to no. go on the street. So I feel like saying someone is straight because they had, or not gay because they had sex with women. I'm like, that's especially, I mean, that was, I mean, 20 years before you, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, almost 150 years before you, you know, 200 years before. Yeah. You. No, here's what I think about him. So I guess I'll, cause I was going to get to that actually. I'm um, sorry. I'm stepping over your topic. No, no. So basically, you know, he was explicit about in his poetry. He did have a long-term relationship with 
uh, a guy a where oh, he okay. lived with him. They were kind of inseparable. Peter um, Doyle. Wait, like a, yeah, Peter Doyle. Like a relationship or like a no relationship. Lincoln type? Uh, no, no, they lived together. Yeah, yeah. They lived together. They were kind of inseparable. He I had, see, I, and, I, and I asked more from a curiosity sample because like we, when we talked about Lincoln, we were like, oh, he lived with a guy. He slept in the same bed. Yeah. And we, we, at the time, we were like, well, that's just the thing people yeah. did at the time. So he I was want, a circuit lawyer, so he went around from... Yeah. I'm gonna town go to town. Lincoln or Lincoln, yeah, Lincoln. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why I asked. For us, I mean, we keep yeah, because this it. is like the same era as Lincoln, and so well, that's why I guess to kind of fast forward since we're getting into it. I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry. No, no, sorry. He so he was very bohemian. He was um, Walt Whitman was he was a writer, and his whole friend group. So there was this bar in a saloon in Manhattan that he would go to every night, and it's where all the artists, the writers people that worked in theater would go and just hang out at night. And so they would discuss their work. And so he just seemed very like free spirited. You know, he, as we said, he loved America, but said, yeah, you're also racist, you know, things like that. Exclusionary. I think he was a very free spirited person and he just had the, I'm not fitting into any norm or stereotype. And so I think when he slept with women, it's like, Oh, I vibe with you. Let's do this. I don't think it was, Like, because, you know, like Buchanan and Lincoln, if, you know, if they would have slept with women, they were very political professionals. Like, I want this career where he's like, I mean, he never held a job. He was always job to job just to make money to support himself. So you're saying was writing maybe more from an artistic standpoint. Like, I I think he was very. Maybe he was bi. Yeah. So I honestly think he was. I don't think he would have been a six on the Kinsey scale. I think he and you can't. So I think the the people that are like, well, he's not necessarily homosexual. No, you can't find anything out there that people say, oh, he's obviously straight. It's more of a, well, just because he talked about, you know, homosexual activity doesn't mean he was solely gay. And then, you know, he had a lot of like deep relationships with many men. And I think the I'll people bet. are like, oh, I'll he's bet. obviously gay or like, oh, he slept with everyone. And I think some people are like, like well, he how, also was friends with all these artists. Like, that doesn't mean he slept with all of them, you know. I mean, I'm sure he slept with a lot of – and there were a lot of men that said, yeah, I slept with him. Like, how deep were his relationships with men? Like, four Depends inches? On the guy. Eight <laughs> inches? Ten inches? Eight or not. No, buddy. <laughs> um, I, I tried to find it, but I can't. No, I'm kidding. But, um, yeah, so I, no I think that um, he definitely was on, on the, you know, like, spectrum of the Kinsey scale, like, you know – bisexual to leaning towards more homosexual. But I do think, um, and so like a friend of his who he had been friends with for 20 years sent a letter and asked him, he said, look, you write about this. There's rumors. Are you? And he kind of danced around it. He didn't deny it, but he didn't admit it. But how did he dance? Were his wrists like flipped when he did it? Or was oh, it, no, he's like, a it on his high heels? Or was it traipsing? <laughs> yeah. Was it a traipsing or was it like more of a stomping? Yeah. Like, <laughs> But his poems weren't like, now I'm going to insert my man rod into this. <laughs> you know, that's all it's sensual. You know, like Yeah, it was more like he express describes your feelings. men like these Yeah, know. and when people would ask him about um, you know, sexuality and things like that, he's he basically said, I love America because we're free to do whatever and he said that should also include, you know, sex. Like you should be free to do what you want. And that's why I think he was probably just a 
kind of like a hippie in his time, you know, where it's like he's just free. Which is so crazy because this was when? And what, 18... The 1850s, 50s, 60s. Right, yeah, because he was born in 1819. Right, so, I mean... And so uh, I think he died in 1870s. What, 120 years before, like, the sexual revolution happened in the yeah. U.S.? But to talk about the U.S. from such a third point of view, like, I love the U.S., but they yeah. are, but it does this... Which shows he's an very, outsider point yeah, of view. Yeah, and he's a very independent. Th- to me, that says I'm an independent thinker, and like I think outside of the box, and that's why I think like as far as sexuality goes, he was. And I don't like, feel like I'm one of the masses. Yeah, and I'm not going to be put in a box. Like if I jive with this guy, I'll sleep with him. Well, he, he, he put himself woman. in a few boxes because you said he slept with women. I know. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess and not everyone's perfect. It's you know like we'll never know, but my conclusion is I think he was just a free spirited type that probably wasn't. Well, free spirit is code word for gay. For gay, yeah. I think he was queer. I don't think he was. So he's part of the LGBT community, which yes, is you know one hundred percent. Yeah, this is a podcast about LGBTQ history. Yeah. So you and where I feel like the difference between it seems like, and of course you know we get fact checked all the time on this. But no I'm kidding. But like Buchanan, I think was government <laughs> That's just from Kindle. I think <laughs> Buchanan kidding. was very monogamous, loved the one guy, and you know Lincoln. I think it's all these things people pointed to. It's like that doesn't mean he was gay, and I really don't think he was. Whereas this guy, I think, was in the middle. I think he was. I think he was definitely gay and queer, but he wasn't a hundred percent homosexual. I think he, he could have know, enjoyed being pan, with women. Bi or pansexual. I've read a lot of books where they have a passing reference of Walt Whitman because I read bi- biographies mostly, and they say he's gay. Like yeah. it's not even like well. So Tony, I mean, they yeah, state yeah. it as fact. Sorry, Tony. Cause yeah, I, and a lot of people do state it as fact. I mean, I was get, like get into that because I I just assumed he was like yeah, you know, which is what your question when we were reviewing the topics. You're like, well, I'll talk about him, but I don't know. And I'm like, I just assumed he was gay. That's why I added him to the list. Uh, but I didn't realize there were not there were. And no, I remember when we did Oscar Wilde. Yep. And had he not said, yes, I'm gay, and whatever verbiage they use in the 1880s, we would still be debating whether or not he was yeah. gay, even though the evidence overwhelmingly says But I think, I otherwise. guess my point is, a lot of people that say, oh, of course he was gay, they assume, oh, six on the Kinsey scale, which means you're only interested in men. And I don't think, I think he was more... It, right, that's why I don't like the term. Yeah, that's why I think he are was you queer. gay or not. I think he was because queer. There's so part much of the LGBT between community. being gay yeah. or not. But I don't think he was like, it, you know, when you say gay and you think, oh, he's only interested in men. I don't think so. So Tony, where do you? Did we talk about this on the scale of one to six? Like where were you? I'm that was six. season one. You're six. You're six. Season one. <laughs> season one. You're, you're six. If Tony's a six, you're definitely a six. Okay. Um, I mean, I could taste it. But do you want to? Every now and then I'm like, sure, why not? I'll dive in head first. <laughs> but like once or like regularly? No, I don't have no, I don't have it. I think no one should He's like say a 5. I 9 would 9 never. No, yeah, but you would not. I mean, you're more of a five to six than a six to. F- five, no, I don't even like the four. concept of numbering it like that. Kinsey was one man with one theory. Yeah. Like well, it's a spectrum. That well, and, he, and even Kinsey admitted he felt it was a spectrum, but he's like. From a scientific standpoint, if I'm trying to make the point that, like, you're not a one or a six, I can't have, like, eight million scales. He tried to have buckets, so it's um, – but because his, his – But question, see, that says a lot about a lot about humans that we have to – Right, exactly. Like, what are you? I need to know what you are <laughs> Yeah, well, no, well, so that I can judge you. And then even – okay, well, let me try to put it in numbers. And you're like, okay. And then it just – instead of 
getting a, a name to what you are. Now it's a number. Oh yeah. my gosh. You were that person I hated to work with like in corporate land. It was just like, give me one. Are you a one, two or three? You're like, well, can I do a 2.4? And I'm like, no, it's a one, no, two or freaking different. three. And so, yeah, no, I mean, I get it. But I mean, I would yeah. say you're more leaning towards the very gay, like never touch a woman type thing. I mean, you'd have to be drunk maybe like there's not a, and like she'd I have mean, to roofie you. I've had a few drinks before. <laughs> Rarely. Right. All right. Well, cool. That's uh, Waltman Whitman. I'm glad a number we me. talked about him because I was, like I said, I was, tr- I, w- I just assumed he was, but I knew there was a backstory. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad. And I'm glad we talked about him too, because not only that, but like his stance on America and the democracy and stuff. Cause you just think Walt Whitman, you think he's like, Oh, this Patriot that, you know, was so pro America, but no, he had a lot of independent thought. And yeah, no, I mean, I, I I think I probably in that mindset, like I love the country. It's sad though, because I mean, we can save this for the 4th of July episode, but I remember a time where I, I mean, I like with the, the national anthem, like I would get very excited and all the, all things. Oh, what number is that when you get turned on by the national anthem? Very patriot, very patriotic. But now it's like, I look at the flag and I'm like, I just think about America and, racism and that's not a place I want to be. So, um, so I gotta, I gotta reconcile that. That's my own issue that I got to work through. And it's not, I love the country. We have way more freedoms than we would if we lived in any, anywhere else. And so it's not perfect, but I I love the fact that we're here. So I'm glad it was good to hear a a bright person like Walt Whitman talk like that. All right. So let's uh, hear a word from our sponsor. Want a, street, want a sweet treat? Well, let me tell you about Jelvin's Candy Shop. They give you the treats you want and the treats you deserve. Order Jelvin's Candy Boxes to bring yourself joy or to delight your friends, family, and clients. They've got gummy bears, jelly beans, Hershey's Kisses, M&Ms, and can do small orders, customs orders, and bulk orders too. They are an LGBT-owned and certified business, and 60% of their profits are donated to Sarah's House in Pasadena, Texas, and to the South Houston Animal Shelter. Jelvin's Candy Shop is a charity candy store and can be found at jelvinscandyshop.org. That's J-E-L-V-I-N-S-C-A-N-D-Y-S-H-O-P-P-E.org. And we have a special treat for our listeners. Enter the code PRIDE10, that's P-R-I-D-E-1-0, when you place your online order and you'll receive 10% off your purchase. Yum! I wonder if you can get some black and white Skittles with that. I don't, uh, I don't for think Pride Month, yes. They've got a, they're very, if you, so they sent the moms a, a the candy, so they've got a unicorn and rainbow, uh, rainbow on the unicorn label, so it's very much, very cute. Very they gay. stole the Skittles rainbow? Yes. <laughs> they did not steal the Skittles rainbow. They are, they are proudly uh, representing the community and donating their profits to uh, Animal Shelter and a Women's Abuse Shelter. So Skittles let them borrow it. We love them, Tony. <laughs> uh, no, my so they but like again, how we got hooked up with them is that they uh, they uh, participated in our sassy hour that we did back in May when we had the moms on, and uh, they uh, kindly don't um, s- sponsored some gifts. And now for we the have moms. our mom jeans on. Now we have mom jeans on. Uh, I can't fit mom jeans on because nice. uh, of the COVID-19 that I've gained, but whatever. Oh, my God. My coworker the other day, so we've been working at home for like two and a half months. And I was like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? He's like, oh, you know, we're getting together for movie night with some friends for the first time. So he texted the group like an hour or two later. He goes, this is the first time I've worn non-stretchy pants in two and a half months. And he goes, I hate it. 
Yeah, it's not fun. Like, I don't put socks on or anything. Like, that's... Yeah, I'm wondering how this is going to affect fashion and interior design and all that because there are going to be some... I was listening to... No one's going to want to, I don't know, dress up again. Or maybe they want to dress up again so much because of this. Well, I don't know. I feel like... um, I feel it's going to have, like, long-term impact on, you know, every aspect. And I think that in particular because, for me, I would never, ever dress up if I didn't have to go to work. And so now we're going to, when all this is said and done, it's going to be like limited. Like it'll probably be over a year before it's, but, um, I was talking to a friend yesterday who works for a major hospital here in Houston. It's household name, probably thousands of employees, not more than 10. And, uh, they said every, like they kind of have been piecemealing the announcement, whatever, but basically they save so much money and people are so much more efficient staying at home. Anybody not associated with patients is working at home indefinitely. Yeah. They'll never go to the office. Oh again. wow! Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of miss. Uh, an I mean, I've missed it since I haven't had. Like I don't miss being in my old company necessarily, but I miss having coworkers and being able to like chit chat a I bit. I agree. Yeah. Um. Definitely more productive because I don't have breaks or anything like that. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I miss it. I, interesting, Kendall, though, like you talk about interior design. Like, what do you, th- uh, I've heard a few different anecdotes, at least on like talk radio, where folks are saying like there's been a spike in um, shopping online for artwork because people are all in Zoom meetings. So they're trying to make sure that they've got a mm. uh, nice uh, background. So I don't know. Like, there you- was a pandemic. Maybe it was a Spanish flu. There was a very interesting article I read how um, once they started to figure out how people got germs and what germs were and, and how they spread and all that kind of stuff, restaurants um, and businesses started using tiles more. So like now if you go into a restaurant, it's probably going to be tiled floor. And if you go into a public restroom, it's tiled walls and all yeah. that. Because even if it's easier to clean for one, yeah. and it also gives a perception of cleanliness, that's all came about because of some pandemic. pandemic I think yeah. it was the Spanish flu that in other to entice in order to entice people back into the restaurants, they wanted to give the appearance that everything was clean and everything was washable. Yeah. So, and so getting back to your fashion, I feel like for somebody like me and this lady, like their spending on like nicer clothes is going to tank because she's right. Never, yeah. And like, I'm, I don't wear nice clothes. I think it's going to make us more casual. I'm going to stop wearing makeup. Yeah. No more false eyelashes for me. One thing that I would say, I said this initially, and I no just more see flippers. it more and more all the time. So, like, you know, when I would go to other countries like, you know, Europe, like Paris in particular, you go to, like, London, you know, those are expensive cities, and people have smaller houses. So every public place you go, people are, like, bringing, you know, snacks and wine and having picnics, and you never saw that in Houston. Now I see it all the time. I see families having picnics. I see like, um, you know, couples having like picnic dates and stuff. And so I think that's, uh, you know, hopefully some of that will like stay. Cause I mean, I think some people are like going to be reluctant to go to like public places. And so I think it's going to have an impact on every aspect. Maybe handshaking will go away. I don't know. But I mean, it was a whole article about this just proves that no one should be touching each other. You should not be touching strangers. I'm like, well, what are you doing to gay bar? With your mouth. I know, exactly. Wow. In the bathroom. <laughs> that's why you always get kicked out. That's why he gets kicked out all the time. Uh, Only yeah. four times. 
<laughs> this month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Last night. So. No, when they opened up. Can, well, can, they should lock their windows in the bathroom. Right. They wouldn't be able to get back in. Can I talk about Anderson Cooper now? Fine. Please do. Andrew what do you know about Andy Cooper? That all the gays are in love with him. The Silver Fox. Interestingly, he's been gray he's, since like our silver since his like he started turning gray when he was in his twenties, and then he's like ever since I've known him, he's been like completely. Yeah. Uh, well, when he was twenty, he looked fifty, and when he was sixty, <laughs> he looked fifty. So he's got a good yeah. like. You want to peek out? You want he's to looked look the old. same for like fifty, <laughs> right? How I think I would he? rather be seventy looking fifty than. How old is he? So he 60. was born this week, uh, June third, nineteen sixty-seven. That's why we're talking about him. So. If we do the math, that's what, 53? Uh, So, yeah, um, Anderson Cooper, obviously, we know as a journalist and TV anchor on CNN. Um, And so I want to talk about him. I think we could probably do a two-parter on Anderson Cooper just because, um, you know, I'll talk about, I'm going to do some highlights on his life. But I think, you know, we probably, like during maybe Katrina or something like that, we could talk about what he's done, the impact he's had Mm. during those events. Well, let's see how this goes. Because that's really where he made a name for himself doing, doing some prominent events. Uh, that I'll, I'll talk about in a bit. But uh, Anderson Cooper uh, is, not, you know, again, famous for his, his work on CNN and now 60 Minutes. But also, you know, he's the son of Gloria Vanderbilt. Yep. Uh, and, uh, of course, Gloria Vanderbilt is part of the, the Vanderbilt fame. Um, and so his name is, uh, his name Anderson comes from his grandmother's maiden name. So, uh, so okay. he's got that family name, which kind of interesting plays into a the part of him being a father, which I'll talk about later. Uh, and then Cooper is his, obviously his dad's name. So despite being a Vanderbilt and come, you know, his mom being in all that prominence, he carries the Cooper name, which, you know, something about that, he says, you know, he always felt until I'd say recently that he was his, he was like, I am my dad's son. I look like my dad. Uh, but he's like, as he got to know and embrace the relationship with his mother a bit more, uh, he's like, my mother and I are so similar. Um, so his story, though, is I say all this because his story, you know, I l- went through a lot of clips about uh, Anderson Cooper uh, is largely influenced with uh, by the relationship with his mom, as well as the uh, the deaths of both his dad and his brother. Uh, so he lost his father at age 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother died by suicide at age 23. And yeah. so uh, when in his brother and Anderson were a few years apart. So it wasn't like there was a big, big gap. Um, but losing his dad, you know, I was watching a, a, uh, an episode uh, or an interview where Anderson Cooper was interviewing Stephen Colbert, who is the late night talk show and host. And Colbert lost his two brothers and uh, his dad in an accident. So they were talking about grief. And Anderson was like, yeah, there's this point in life. He's like, I feel like there's an alternative, like an alternate Anderson Cooper out there that would have had a different life he's like but for but because of the death of my father mm. like i'm i'm completely different i'm changed forever yeah. and he's like and i in some instances i think he carries that like i could have been a different almost better person not that he's ashamed of the person that he is today yeah. but he's just like it's just had an easier yeah. life i just feel like my life's been altered and i can't do anything about yeah. it yeah but that's life i mean it, right yeah and so we had a pretty good altered life well yeah i mean and he appreciates that right but he's just like i feel like i could have been I don't know what, uh, but he wouldn't have been gray. He would have been blonde. Maybe. <laughs> right. Without the stress. His, his, uh, his dad though was an, an author. He wrote film scripts, um, and they looked very similar. And that's why, like I said, he, he felt like he was always his dad's son. Um, but his dad came from a, uh, whereas mom came from the prominent Vanderbilt family. I think the reason he didn't 
and then he associated rather with his dad was because his dad came from a poor family in Mississippi. And so he was like, he felt because his mom was also rebelling to some extent against the kind of Vanderbilt name and all By that. Marrying the dad. Uh, it was just, well, she married lots of people, uh, the, his mom. Uh, he just felt like he had more I of a connection mom, to to uh, to his dad, um, but it, his dad again at age fifty uh, died, and he like you said made that a different person. His mom, another kind of key piece to his um, Anderson was ten when his dad died. His mom, so then it was basically he and his mom and his, and his brother. Um, although his mom had two uh, sons from a previous marriage, so he has two half brothers as well. But he's now estranged from them. He's been he hasn't really talked to them. Uh, his mom, of course, notably Gloria Vanderbilt, who's the fashion model, icon, heir to the Vanderbilt fortune. Uh, she recently died at age 95. But, you know, his mom dated Howard Hughes, Marlon Brando, Frank Sinatra. She's been with all sorts of people. Yeah. Married four times, I think. So, yeah, lots Get of... It, um, yes. And he loved his mom. I mean, he, like, until she died, like, they would communicate. They said they emailed back and forth regularly because Anderson's just on the road all the time doing all sorts of, you know, covering all these big news reports. Um, but because she kind of rebelled against the Vanderbilt name, like she took a different approach with him. Um, they wrote a book together. And I, and I say this because this kind of revealed a lot about the relationship. So she was 91 and he was what 50, I guess. And they, they wrote this book together just about their relationship. She had brown hair and he had gray. (laughs) It's true. She did. (laughs) Uh, and you know, he said he was partly, he, he wanted to do this, this work with his mother because he's like, I always felt, he's like, I always wish my dad would have written this, uh, letter like to me. Like he's, I, I was hoping I was going to uncover mm, this, this yeah. letter from my dad saying, here's who I am and here's who we were supposed to be. And, uh, he's like, that didn't obviously exist. He's like, so I didn't want that, that to escape. I from my mom. I wanted my mom to tell me all the secrets, all everything she knew about herself and myself and my dad and my brother. Like I didn't want anything to go unknown before, uh, before she passed. So they wrote this book together. Uh, and that's where he really got to know a lot about his mom and her storied life and, and all the relationships. Uh, and then in, in doing that, he said he, he realized that he's more like his mom than he ever thought. He's like, we are both, um, driven and determined people. Um, but one thing he admires is about his mom is like she's a he's the strongest person she's ever met, but she's also not uh, she's not tough. Uh, and th- so in that sense, he felt like she was this creature from outer space that he always had to protect. Uh, he was like, I've, I felt that I needed to fight for her. I needed to protect her because she was an amazing woman. Um, and because she was so passionate, she wanted to. I mean, she was one I was watching an interview from them for like three years ago and she was like talking about still wanting to be in love. And, you know, then she said the best is yet to come. Imagine saying that at 92 years old. I mean, (laughs) here I'm 40 and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, what happens? I do. I was like, oh, downhill slide. Yeah. And she's like the best is yet to come. And she's talking about being in love and she's always wanted to be like, that's the thing she's always loved she's also but she that said she because when you fall in love you kind of go all in and Mm -hmm. you just embrace everything about whatever you love and it's not always like romantic sometimes it's friends and different passions um but you also there's heartbreak with that right and she the reason he says she wasn't tough is because she felt the heartbreak she wanted to feel that she was like i want to feel the highs she's also an artist and a romantic so she's got that kind of like and, and that's part of your art. I mean, that's part of your art yeah. being in the depths of things, right? I mean, just feeling that pain and that translates into a lot of times some beautiful work, um, albeit, you know, at the expense of sometimes of these artists because 
they don't know how to handle that, right? And so, but nonetheless, he always felt he had to protect her. So that that uh, informs a lot of, I think, who Anderson is, you know, protecting his mom, like trying to be put on this front, but really an emotional guy. Because again, he's carrying the, the death of his father from a young age. Interestingly enough, like, um, you know, Anderson Cooper is known for his, his giggle, right? I mean, he does it on air all the time. He and his mom have a similar giggle. He recorded it one of the, the last, when she died uh, last year, um, he recorded a video like while she was in the hospital and they were having a moment where they g- giggling together and it was really, it was really sweet. If you're in for a cry, like that's something that you would want to watch, like him saying goodbye to his mother on, on that tribute. It, it, it's a tearjerker, right, yeah. um, but uh, it was a wonderful tribute. But nonetheless, he had that a very close relationship with his mom. He was there with her when she took his last breath. Um, the thing he notes about his parents, though, like I think which informs, again, a lot of who Anderson Cooper is, is like they never, in their words, they never had a kiddie table. So they were always invited to the adult table. So they were part of the adult conversations, uh, so much so that, you know, at at age 11, he was taking, his mom took him to Studio 54 uh, twice. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and it's, <laughs> he was saying this during an interview when they wrote that book a few years ago with his mom. And he's like, and she was like, tell him why. Okay. So she had a business opening. And uh, so her business was doing a, some big grand opening on something, having an event at uh, Studio 54. And Grace Jones was performing. So his mom was like, you got to come see this. Uh, and then there was another event where there was a premiere of The Wiz. And so she wanted him to be part of that. So it wasn't like they were going to do, you know, doing lines, mm. but, but uh, you know, big events. And so those, again, relationship with mom informs a lot of who he is and how, how we know Anderson. I would note his brother, a big part of his life, it was two years older than he was. He did um, uh, die by suicide at age 23. We talked about this recently when we were talking about Anderson. Um, when he uh, announced he was Had a dad, a baby, yeah. uh, his uh, his mother actually witnessed his brother jumping from their penthouse, no uh, and uh, that was a big thing for him because he was like he felt a lot of why did this happen, and so that's also you know he notes that as another kind of mile marker in his life. Like I just it, you know these yeah. people were close. It was his dad, his mom, and his brother, and uh, you know he lost two people that were very close to him. Uh, when he he was growing up, he he said he had dyslexia, um, but also lived a very non-traditional life. I mean, there was an interview with him uh, on the late one of the late night shows, and they were teasing him a little bit about his growing up. Like most kids were playing sports and get they're getting in trouble, and he was a child model, so he, he was doing things like oh, that. Oh yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he would go on to Alvin Klein, or yeah, it was it Ralph Lauren or one of the big ones? I, yes, I forget which one. He was cute. Yeah, he was kind of nerdy looking. I mean, he looked the same. He looked but very alien. Yeah, like uh, I think he's still kind of like otherworldly. Like I think he's still kind of intriguing. I should say. Yeah, I, I would agree. He looks. Yeah, he makes fun of himself for how he looks, but I mean, I think he's a attractive, attractive man. Uh, he went to sca- uh, Yale. Scale. He went to Yale and studied political science. Uh, he also studied Vietnamese, and he spent a year in Thailand at a Buddhist monastery. So it just informs you, like, yeah. where he is. Interestingly, interestingly enough, though, he got that from his mom. Then that sense of like, I have interest. I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Life is short, because his mom, she would be a fashion designer, and then she would she was an artist and. She was known as a socialite, and like she, there are so many iterations of uh, Gloria Vanderbilt's life. Well, she had a tragic life in the sense that, like, you know, she was 
taken she was away a poor from little her rich girl. She was taken away from her mom in a big, in a very prominent you know, custody battle at the time when that was happening. It was like the, the it was labeled the century of uh, the case of the century. Like it was a big deal. She was a celebrity, and she was like didn't want to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does inform. Like again, I, his mother's uh, uh, legacy and and the relationship they had definitely informs Anderson Cooper and who he was. Yeah, so he, not a pot, you know, not a journalist trained uh, by by education, but he became one. Uh, he you know we know him as a as the award winning journalist, Peabody Award winner, Emmy Award winner, Edward P. Morrow uh, uh, Award winner, uh, who started his career in 1992. Interestingly enough, I mean, despite him being you know in over 40 countries, all these awards covering all these major political world. Uh, uh, natural disaster wars, all these events. Um, he didn't start off easily. He he had to like he tried to get on with ABC, couldn't get hired. So he had his uh, a friend of his um, uh, fake a, fr- a press pass, and so on his own he went overseas uh, and started send- and making his own videos and news reports and started sending wow. them to this uh, uh, organization called Channel One, which basically was an mm, educational. That's right, I know him. Edu- high school. Yeah, an educational series for geared at young students. And so he mm. made it on his own videos and then finally they, they hired him. Uh, from there, though, he would go on to ABC and that's where he would start to get some traction. I think he had a, not a death wish, but he would go into the most war-torn, dangerous scenarios by himself. Sometimes he was his own cameraman, so he'd set it up and then go do it. Really? Talk to the camera. And then he would see, does anybody want to buy this? Yeah. <laughs> and I think part of it was, and he always did it by himself. I think it was because he lost his brother and dad at such a young age that he's kind of like, there's one aspect of I'm going to experience it all, but there's another aspect of if I die, I die. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it, it, maybe it's the Cooper curse or whatever. Yeah. It, my, lot, it was my. less that, it, more so, I think he described it in a way that he was like, I was trying to get to like the depths of where we could go. So he's like, I knew he... He he was parent. He took on this paranoia aspect about himself, like very paranoid about doomsday scenarios. So he's like, I might as well instead of being scared of it, I might as well go into it, so I know what's confronting me, and then I can, I can take it on. If I know what it is, then I can take it on. So it was less like, hey, just let me, you know, we'll, what will be, what will be. He was like, if I if I learn about this, if I go into the darkness, then I can own the darkness. I can see it and experience it. But he was made him very uncomfortable. Mary the night. Yes. Later, like I would say. Yes. Uh, so yes. So he, uh, you know, came about on his own. Started on Channel One, then went on to ABC, uh, ABC and he got a night anchor position uh, for World News Now, which he took over from uh, a guy named Aaron Brown. I mentioned that because later Aaron Brown kind of plays a role in uh, in his CNN piece. Uh, so he was with ABC for a few years. Um, uh, took a break from ABC and decided, hey, I want to. Uh, he started doing reality TV. He was a, a, oh, a host, heard about that. host for the mole. the mole. Yeah. for, <laughs> And then 9-11 happened and he was like, I need to get back into the news segment. Like that's where my passion is. Uh, so he worked his, his way into getting hired into CNN in 2001. Uh, so he started as a co-anchor for a morning show, the CNN's morning spot with Paula Zahn and Jack Cafferty. He said it was a disaster. Like Paula Zahn was like, apparently didn't realize uh, she had co-anchors, and so he's like, he got no no airtime. Uh, he was like, uh, uh, for 
he he was on he's at infrequent appearances he would take naps in between his takes because he was on so infrequently um and so and he when he was finally on air despite him being a co-anchor he said he was so nervous that he would have sweat stains he was just like sweating because why was he nervous because he was like you know here he was getting this pressure he's like I, he came on like oh i'm the the morning anchor and then he got squeezed out and so he was starting to question his confidence and she was just that like take charge that yeah well she thought she was barbara walters there's stories about paula's own from all over mm. uh, sounds amazing yeah, you would love her. Well, even still, so he, then he got sent to Afghanistan. So it just keeps, it, it's worse. And without a camera crew, uh, he had to shoot on his own uh, home video camera. And, he, you know, so back home, he also found out that he was losing his office. So he's like, this was a sign that I was getting fired. Uh, and then to make matters worse, the head of CNN at the time would call him and be like, you're doing terrible work. I don't know why you have, uh, I don't know why CNN ever hired you. Wow. Uh, and so he had lost all confidence. So he called an, an old mentor from uh, Channel One. I'm like, why am I doing this again? And they're like, hey, look, you've got a lot to op- you know, help build this confidence. Eventually he was removed from the morning show, lost his office entirely. So he's like, I got to do something. So he started volunteering like for any anchor slot that, that he could get. So he basically, uh, you see, CNN, uh, well, they all, they're 24 hour news networks, right? So they have weekend, uh, slots and a lot of weekend shows. So he started filling in for weekend anchors, not in a recurring place, but wherever there was someone like who's going on vacation or whatever. So, uh, so he's filling the spots. He was like, he would be basically on call from 5 AM to midnight and managed to fill 16 hours during a weekend slot. He said, interestingly enough, that was 16 hours of time. He's like, well, that's more than any other anchor gets during, uh, you know, during during the week. So he he was able to kind of build some credibility. And then uh, Aaron Brown, I mentioned. So Aaron Brown had a nightly show. Uh, so Aaron Brown, I think, went on vacation or something. He had to go off for a bit. Uh, and so Anderson Cooper went in and filled in for that spot and it went well. And that's where people are like, OK, well, maybe he can do this. So he kind of regained his um his notoriety uh in 2003 he was given his own show which we know today as anderson cooper 360 uh and uh you know that's how he kind of started to get rebuilt his his credibility uh and from there he made his his mark on a series of events he was uh on site with a uh, tsunami in 2004 in sri lanka so that was a big event um wow. and he he was there as a young journalist he was in his 30s competing against some of these you know these veterans, peter Jen- yeah. like these long-term veterans and so people were like what's this guy doing on site but he made it the thing about anderson cooper whether it's this whether it's katrina in 2005 uh or uh, the Haiti earthquake in 2010, you know, he tries to not be emotional. Like that's his, his uh, stance in terms of how he approaches his journalistic ways of approaching it. But he definitely provides a human humanistic view. So with Katrina, you know, he was, you know, he broke down a couple of times and he's like, look, I'm, my job isn't to break down. He's like, I'm not trying to be part of the story. He's just like, I'm trying to tell the human story to what's going on. Well, he also saw his, dad all around him there because his dad was from coastal Mississippi I think past Christian or something like that and he one of the stories he went in to a restaurant just to interview the guy of like your restaurant's flooded you know tell me what's going on he said Anderson Cooper (laughs) he said you're back here he said you came here with your dad you had just come from the beach you didn't have a shirt on you sat right at that table I actually have a picture of you on the wall so Anderson Cooper went and saw the picture of himself on the ball. He vaguely remembered going down to Mississippi. He didn't remember that day. But if you know anything about his struggles with his dad's death at such a young age, he was like, it was like looking at a ghost. It was like looking at someone else's life 
oh, yeah. on the wall that you have heard about. Yeah. Like that's my dad and that's me. It was crazy to go into a restaurant to report about a hurricane. Yeah. And to say, I remember you. I met you 20 something yeah, years that ago. That guy would remember him. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of what like personalized, like he would personalize a story, not in a way like he was crying on it, but he was just like, there was a human story we need to tell. And he really got some notoriety, not just with, you know, showing the story that was happening with Hurricane Katrina, for example, but also holding truth to power. He's like, you guys, uh, he, so he got some, um, a lot of press when he uh, uh, came at uh, Mary Landrieu, uh, who's a senator mm. of Louisiana, Democrat. Who she was like, you know, I just want to thank everyone for doing, you know, the, family. Yeah. yeah. And she was thanking all the government for doing a great job. And he was like, wait, excuse me, hold on. Like, uh, and he she was gave so, the political line. She's like, well, the first thing I'd like to do is thank, 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 thank. And he's yeah. like, like to thank the governor and the president and the lieutenant governor, all that. Yeah. And. He was so nervous. You're probably gonna talk about it. And she was he popular was like, in Louisiana at the time. Yeah, she was at the very time. popular. But his voice started shaking, and he was fighting back tears and said, "I've why you? I don't know what you're thanking anybody for because while you're thanking people, there's a I saw a man in the street who's been there so long. Rats are eating him. It's day three, and I'm passing this corpse every day. And nobody down here thinks anybody should be congratulated. What yeah. are you doing? Right. And so that piece was like it shocked. To everyone because it was a balance right i mean you at some instance you're being this activist journalist but at the same time he's like that wasn't my point he's like i'm on the ground listening to seeing this stuff listening to people you know yeah, and cry about great politician that's just giving this as though everything's normal spiel yeah yeah so it's those things that have endeared him to audiences that have that he's gained his popularity uh in 2010 uh he was uh, hit by uh you know he was there uh in um in, in Haiti, uh, and there was a boy that was injured. Uh, but there was a brick thrown at the boy, not by on purpose, but on accident. And the boy was suffering. He said he was originally trying to go take a picture of like just of the scene, and then he saw the boy that was hit, and he was suffering. And so he rescued the boy, and all During that was kept, yeah, all that was captured on air. He's like, that wasn't the intent. He was like, I wasn't trying to do. I was trying to capture a picture of like just the chaos of the scene. He's like, it happened that I realized this, you know, young boy was being you know, like was suffering and dying. So he's like, I saved them. Uh, and so there's that. I mean, and he's been in, in war scenes as well. So you've got the hurricanes, the war scene, the Arab Spring in, in Egypt. And back in 2012, he got uh, beat up uh, on air. So, I mean, all these sorts of things were yeah. happening. And he, he puts himself on the front lines, whether it's a natural disaster, uh, war-torn area. And, of course, you know, politics, he's, you know, uh, moderated debates and all these sorts of things. So uh, he's more known as a world-class, you know, anchor and known for his work ethic, really intense, uh, cares, you know, less about how he looks and really about the story. And, you know, if he doesn't feel like his camera folks are telling the right story, he will grab a camera. Or if he doesn't have a camera around, like a camera crew, he will grab his own camera, whether it's from his phone or whatever, to make sure that the story is being told. Uh, so, I mean, that's him from a, from a journalistic standpoint, uh, in 20, 2006, I mean, I think because of the integrity he has in terms of the story he tells with his, his, his news events, I mean, he was picked up by 60 minutes and he's a contributor to 60 minutes as well. Um, so all fun, I mean, all, not all fun, all seriousness, uh, with Anderson Cooper, but I mean, I think, you know, he started to endear himself among, uh, beyond the, uh, the news world when he like he hosts this night nightly show right Anderson 360 he does this segment I'm not sure if he does it anymore the ridiculous and so in and the early two 2010s 
um, there was a part where he was just like, he's known for, I mentioned his giggle with his mom. He's known for his giggle. And so he got like, it was YouTube viral moment when he was uh, talking about Gerard Depardieu and apparently mm. his actor and he was on a plane causing a fuss and uh, urinated, pissed on some things Gerard or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so, so he was talking about the ridiculous, the ridiculous being a segment of like, these are the crazy, ridiculous people that are doing stuff. And so there was a joke about, um, uh, I hope he doesn't do Gerard, uh, a Depart 2. And so, (laughs) and so from there, like he lost it on air and it was just his giggling. And that was pretty much one of the YouTube, you know, early YouTube viral moments, uh, uh, for for Anderson Cooper, but just in general, like little, I saw that from multiple fronts of people just watching that video over and over again. So that giggle has endeared him, along with his silver hair. Did he just start cracking up as soon as he read it? Uh, yeah. Because sometimes, like the they have writers, right, that have to write all that, and it, yeah, I don't think very, he read it until he was on. Yeah, there. very well could have been that that's the first time he read it, and he was like, "Oh my god," yeah, just giggling. So. Um, of course, we're talking about Anderson Cooper because he is he is gay. Uh, for his whole life, he's been gay. I mean, he's identified gay. He said he did uh, a struggle a little bit. He was nervous to tell his mom just because um, even though his mom was super liberal, very open. Well, his mom um, had a girlfriend, too, one time. Well, yeah, uh, his mother, his grand. Well, that was the thing. His grandmother during the custody battle was was accused of being lesbian. Um, and so it, it, but. He, he was just like, I don't know like how she's going to take it. Um, but he did say he remembered his mom at 11 years old because his mom would invite people over, the famous people over to the house all the time for dinner parties. And he was asking about one one guy, uh, jo- Jose Quintero, who was a Broadway director. And they were talking about, he and his mom were talking about him. He was 11 years old at the time. And she's like, oh yeah, Jose and his husband. And in the, in the 70s, this was in the 70s. He's like, you weren't married, but his yeah. mom, the fact that his mom was just like, mm. this is, you know, they're married. Yeah. Like uh, it, that stuck with him to be like, oh, okay. Uh, but he says from a young age, he knew he was gay. Uh, he was talking when he he was doing his research about the, the documentary he did with his mom. Uh, he was like, you know, it went back into the records and he's like, I pulled out my old kindergarten report card. And he said, the teacher wrote, enjoys the friendship of all the boys and enjoys trying to get their attention by bringing costumes and toys. So he's like, I think she knew something. Yeah. <laughs> she outed me. him. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pretty much. Um, he officially came out, uh, not like publicly with his own statement, but through a letter he wrote to, uh, uh, I guess a friend colleague, Andrew Sullivan. Uh, he wrote a letter saying, you know, I, the fact is I'm gay. I've always been gay and always will be gay and very comfortable. Um, so he was always gay with, you know, out to his friends and family and colleagues, but he was not out publicly on the record. And so he came out in 2013 because he felt the need. He's like, by being silent, I felt like I was making more of a statement than actually just coming out and saying, Hey, and I do feel like like um everybody knew bef- like before that that and so they were like why is he so secretive about right. it well or, and that's yeah. what he was like i don't want that to be like i'm ashamed of being gay because he's like i never was and, and, so, it, and i think that was the impression of a right. lot of people and so even like, in the gay community yeah so he's like i needed to come out and just make sure that people didn't know he's like invisibility matters interestingly enough uh, i don't think we've talked we've talked we've mentioned this name but we haven't talked about him as a topic tim cook uh when he was coming out uh called up anderson cooper he's like i really like the way you did it like can you talk can you give me some pointers so tim cook the uh, ceo of apple uh so you know 
point being is visibility matters, right? Anderson Cooper comes out. We all knew he was gay, but the fact that he finally confirmed it, knew he was, you know, we knew he wasn't hiding it. Yeah. And then other people can be like, well, if Anderson could do, can do it, yeah. then I, I can have the courage to do it as well. Yeah. Uh, so important. So, um, Anderson Cooper, though, again, he's had, we know him from CNN, but he's had other things. We've seen him on TV. Uh, he's been a fill-in for, you know, early on Regis and Kelly. Uh, I mean, he's good friends with, um, what's her name, Kelly? Uh, uh, Ripa. Kelly Ripa, yes. So he used to be friends with Kathy Griffin. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Kathy Ruger, all the pop right. here. <laughs> uh, but he's, so he's filled in numerous times, even, you know, recently. As oh, the, yeah. Oh, as, sorry. As the co-host. Uh, he had his own talk but show. They, in uh, uh, for a brief period in the early 2010s, uh, Anderson Live, so it was a daytime talk show. Keeps this guy keeps busy, and then of course, notably, he has since I think 2002, he's been uh, he's been uh, whether off and on or consistently, he's been part of the the New Year's Eve special for CNN. Which since he, 2002, yeah. I like I said, I'm not sure if it's continuous because I don't remember it back then. I know for the last. 10 years maybe because he used to do it with Kathy Griffin they used to be really good friends now he does it with Andy Cohen yeah now he does it with Andy Cohen because mm. uh, Kathy Griffin got the the boot after she had her controversy with the yeah. severed Trump head and um, he was like she was pretty saddened by his response like Anderson well they were friends she was on Celebrity Mole when he hosted it way back in the day like 13 14 years prior to that whole incident yeah. um but she was like, he never even called me and had a conversation. But it's Kathy Griffin who goes on TV and tells every intimate detail of any celebrity interaction she's ever had. So she's not the most trustworthy to... Well, I mean, she got bad because he didn't defend her. Like, she was getting the backlash for the uh, the Trump stuff, and he he distanced himself. He was like, he didn't, he didn't say anything, I think. Actually, I think he came out and said that was wrong. Uh, and so she felt betrayed. Yeah, he he came out against it. Uh, and so that was a that was an issue. Uh, I mean, and I yeah, get it. I he, mean, I get it in the sense like you, he you didn't. Want. He did it publicly. He didn't call her. He did it publicly. He either posted about it or tweeted or yeah, something because the, she held the Trump head. And her. yeah, and so she she was offended. Well, maybe he just like, doesn't like head. <laughs> oh, you know, he likes it. But I think sure she was offended because she's like, he didn't even call me or anything. He just publicly was like anti yeah kathy griffin yeah. right which you know i i mean i can understand I her point to some yeah yeah i, I totally yeah because i'm like yeah. if you're a friend you're like you want to which they had all because he could have very easily just stayed out of it right I, well i think he because of the way everything, you know cnn pressured him to he had to speak out right because you know at the is at this day because trump so villainized cnn like they had to say something right and so and anderson so visibly a friend of uh, kathy griffin he had he had to say something, yeah. so I'm sure he could have. Well, he's probably resentful of her too for putting him in that situation. Well, yeah, I'm sure, no doubt. But like, if you're friends, you. But it just tells you the mm -hmm. nature of Hollywood. So, um, so yeah. So Anderson Cooper, that's him. I would just note when we talked about this recently. I mean, on April 30th of this year, he announced he's a father. So, uh, which is uh, he was already a daddy. He was already daddy. Now he's a real. He's a father. Uh, he announced he was a father of his son, who was born on April the 27th. Why? Well, Morgan Cooper, um, he's named after his dad. Morgan's a family name, uh, and uh, you know, so White uh, Morgan is a family name. Wyatt uh, is was a name that. Um, uh, Wyatt was his dad's name. Wyatt was his dad's name. Yes, Wyatt was his dad's name. Morgan was a family name. Uh, was something potentially that uh, um, 
they were going to name him. So he looked, he found a, through the old records that he's been going through it as he's uh, cleaning up his mom's uh, estate. Like he was like, oh, well, he came across the list of names that they were going to potentially name him. So that informed a little bit how his son was named. Um, you know, as he says, as a gay kid, I didn't think any, this was possible. So the fact that I'm a dad is amazing. Uh, the fact that, you know, again, given he was so close with his mom, she died less than a year ago, and now he's bringing in a, a uh, his 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 son. He's like it's been crazy because he was there with his mom with the last breath she uh, took, yeah. and he was there even though it was a surrogate. He was there at Lift the delivery birth. at the, you know of his baby, and he's like I have seen the full spectrum, and he's just like overwhelmed with feelings, but also just kind of a, appreciates like the the circle of life. Um, you know we we talked about this a little bit. I you know uh, when we mentioned him a few weeks ago, but he is co co parenting with his ex. Um, which is interesting, I think, on on multiple fronts. I mean, he's an older guy, he's a dad, uh, and he's gonna co-parent mm. with his his ex. ex. But he's like, I have no family. He's like, I mean, again, two half brothers, but he doesn't communicate. They're estranged, um, and so his mom died, his brother died, his dad died. He's like, this is it. He's like, in the gay world, you your family is are your friends. friends and he's like, family. yeah. While me and my ex didn't. Uh, connect romantically and that relationship didn't evolve he's like we're still really good friends and he's like if there are more people that can love my son then that's great he's like I would love that to happen because as a, he's like since I lost my dad so young he's like no one ever took me he's like I love my mom but she was not always like in tune to what I needed as a young boy he's like I would have loved for a guy to have been like let's go to a ball game or let's let me take you out to lunch or how are you doing in a in a more guy sense mm -hmm. right and so he's like look i'm i'm good with that and so there are two dads i mean he's gonna call anderson dad and he's gonna call uh you know his other his other father uh papa i mean so in the sense like i say that just to note that it's not just like this guy's gonna come in and babysit like you have two parents they're yeah. just not gonna live together so i think that's cool i mean so that's uh anderson cooper nice yep the cuter Anderson Pooper. Anderson Pooper. <laughs> like I said, I think we can like probably come back to uh, her, talk about Hurricane Katrina and what he's done in that. Because I thought that was a compelling story and not enough time for us to do in this podcast. But Might be too episode. soon. <laughs> too soon. Maybe you can do it. Just kidding. All right, Kendall. Okay, my topic is the YMCA. Not the song, but the actual organization, YWMCA. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> YMCA. <laughs> Uh, founded on June 6th, 1844 in London, England by Sir George Williams. And Wait, what year? 1844. Yeah, June 6th, 1844 in London. And George was a draper in London. Uh, drapers back then, now we think of it as like curtains and window treatments, but a draper was just someone that provided cloth, usually for clothes, but it could be for window oh. treatments too but it was mostly clothes and he grew up in rural england um he described himself uh, himself as a thoughtless careless godless swearing young fellow when he grew up um and his family sent him to bridgewater which is a nearby town to apprentice as in a draper shop and then he moved to london at 16 he became very involved in church and that's when george became concerned about the lack of healthy activities for young men in London. <laughs> so all these little kids from London, like teenagers basically, w this is during the Industrial Revolution, the first Industrial Revolution, would 
come into the city mostly from either small towns or from the country mm. and come in alone for these all these jobs that were happening in London. And the only activities supposedly that they could do were brothels um, and taverns. Little did he know what YMCA was going to become. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. You know his intent. Well, he was just so concerned for those boys. Come to me, boys. The idea grew out of Bible study meetings he had with other drapers in London. Um, where there were just all these drapers in London would just sit around and talk about boys, I think is how it went. Nambla. (laughs) (laughs) And then on June 6th, 1844, is when he held the first meeting, and they called it the Young Men's Christian Association. And its purpose was the improving of the spiritual condition of young men engaged in the drapery, embroidery, and other trades. So obviously we see why it turned into a gay organization. Because of the draperies? (laughs) But it quickly became popular, and a lot of philanthropists uh, at the time, wealthy people that wanted to to show how wealthy they were and how kind-hearted they were, wanted to give their money to organizations. And they saw this one as a wholesome organization that could instill Christian values to young men and keep them from prostitution, gambling, and drink. By 1851, there were chapters in nine countries, including the U.S., and it grew to offer Christian services, sports, uh, swimming, and accommodations this sounds for like men the, all around the, the world. This sounds like the precursor to the Mormon religion. Just like, well, we want you to be safe here and mm. comfortable. It's like you've ever, if you've ever met a Mormon. And just now kidding. they're knocking on your back door. <laughs> Is they that like where you invite them in? <laughs> But it started very uh, Christian, but they grew to become... I don't feel like the YMCA was ever as extremely conservative Christian as a lot of other... I agree. Or as it could have been. Because they somewhat early on said, we are not for racism, we are not for discrimination of any sense. The YMCA? Yeah. Um, They wanted to, and it was even in their charter at one point... Or their statement, they want to be inclusive of people regardless of gender, sexual identity, race, or health status. Um, And so they have branches all over the world. In 2010, the U.S. branch changed it to the Y. And I wonder if that's because they didn't want the Men's Christian Association tag on it. What what year was this? 2010. 2010. That's crazy. Maybe, because I mean, I feel like that's, I mean, the last several years, you know, people are getting away from stuff like that. like Yeah, because you might whatever, feel like yeah, you're yeah. preventing people, a certain amount of people coming yeah. in because or it's it seems like you're, the Young yeah. Men's Christian Association. Well, yeah, I mean, I, there are a lot. We've talked about it here. I mean, again, I have, like, I'm a Christian. I have nothing against Christians. But there is something like when people are like, I'm a proud Christian, you're like, I don't think we're on the same team. When you when you talk like yeah, that. Yeah, because it implies you're anti other religions. Right. or And like the Young Men's Christian Association, right. it's like, are you anti-women? Yeah. Yeah. So I I can understand, which is sad. I mean, because, you know, you want to. But yeah, that's the reality. I mean, because of the the prominence in the media of people who are yay Christian or yay America, they don't come across like they're on my team, like in the sense they they're going to be accepting of what I. Well, and all of these young teens were scared to be out as gay because they said, if I told you if I that I like penis, would you hold it against me? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's just a YMCA joke. So that's <laughs> the actual, and there is a YWCA. He actually wrote that one down. <laughs> no, I didn't. Just kidding. There is a YWCA. I can't wait. 
but it's a separate organization founded in 1855, also in London. But she was kind of copying the founder, copying yeah, sure, the premise yeah. of the YMCA. So that's the YMCA as the world knows it, but there is very much a uh, gay culture within the YMCA. Mm-hmm. Um, here's here's the reason why. Okay. And the biggest YMCA mecca was in New York. There were like two big branches that were massive. They were basically hotels because the YMCA was cheap, cheap room, and you could have a single room. And in the 70s, you could have for $40 a week, you could live there. As okay. long as you're willing to pay for it. I mean, people live there for decades. Do you think people live in bathhouses the same way? I mean, you could pay for a out. I mean, technically you live there, you though? Could. Well, how long, I mean, did, how long is the longest time you spent there? They have showers there. You can get your own bed for, like, you can get your own room for, what? If you looked on the website. But do they rent it, what, by the day or what? By the hours. Okay. So. But if you were there, like, I need... 72 hours, would they be like, no? I mean, I'm sure they would. Why are they going to say no to your money? But you think they're, oh, sorry. Like, <laughs> no. If you're going to pay them, I don't know. I'm just, all right, sorry. It was a side. You sure do bring up bathhouses a lot. I'm clean. <laughs> so they had cheap single rooms that could be rented. And if you're in Manhattan offering cheap single rooms, the types of people you're attracting. It was like young guys that from small town America, rural America. Oh, yeah. Going to live in the big city. And they were single. And they would go to the YMCA. Ready to move? It was also a lot of kids from outside New York. Like this, the gay kids, openly gay kids from suburban New York that would come in just for the weekend. There's actually a nickname for the YMCA. They called it the dressing room. Because you were like just there to get ready to go out. Oh, Okay. And then come back and do booty things, probably. <laughs> but there were laws house. at the time prohibiting gays for gathering Clean, together in businesses. Houston. But at the Y, you could hook up. Like you, you were gonna get. There weren't gonna be police barging in and. Ah, uh, yeah, because you know, at a bar. Yeah, there wasn't kind of any Stonewall thing. Although the, it wasn't like a free for all. Do whatever you want at the YMCA. There, it was somewhat strict. Um. Like, even the housekeepers, they said, were like, housekeeping. But really, they were seeing if you were doing homosexual things. Mm. But even they then, it was in. like a, a room around other single men that you could be around. Yeah. And safer than being on the street. They were like, you can do it. Just don't do it with the doors open or in the hallway. Thank you. What you do in your own room? <laughs> Shit. And then a lot of cruising took place because people would go for the gym. So anytime there's a a male gym, you're going to have some things, a lot of things. What? (laughs) (laughs) This was the precursor to a bathhouse. Yeah. It's like people use the gym. They have a gym, but who's using the gym? It was 100% a bathhouse. Yeah. It was and a low-key bathhouse. Sponsored by Christians. So the Christians are the reason, you know, they're mm-hmm. gay people. And just a lot like of straight guys would go just to work out on their lunch exactly. hour. Mm, lunch or before hour. or after work. And they would just get entangled in things. Like, uh, I didn't want to shove it in there. I was reading something. Uh, we we did a post about uh, a guy who wrote a column. His name is Armistead Moppin. Mm-hmm. And he said... He did. A, he was like, "Oh, I had to go for a lunch break, and then I had a meeting." He's like, "I had gum on my my knees," 
he's like, because I went for what they called a, a business executive uh, release or something like that. And he's like, who am I kidding? He's like, I was on my knees and I wasn't praying. <laughs> <laughs> a business executive release. Yes. Retreat. Retreat. Something like that. It was just kind of like, so it's reminding me retreat. of what you're saying. They're like, you know, business people would go there on, straight guys would go there on the breaks or whatever. Like, so the <laughs> the YMCA had become so known for being a place for gay men to gather um, and to do like-minded gay things that the <laughs> village people even performed a song. They weren't the ones that wrote it, but they knew it was a gay song. Yeah. And you all know what song that is? <laughs> I've dropped a few hands. We are, the, we are a part of the Rhythm Nation? No. YMCA. YMCA. Oh. Uh, released in 1978 and became a gay anthem. And the lyrics were double entendres. Uh, you can, wait, where is it? You can stay there, and I'm sure you'll find in many ways you'll have a good time. I've never actually listened to the other than YMCA. I've never. <laughs> I don't. Know they the have everything for young men to enjoy. You can hang out with all the boys. You can get yourself clean. You can have a good meal. You can do whatever you feel. So what's the, the village people? Were they? What's a just? I know. We, maybe we could do another. Yeah, segment, we need to do a topic. So the village people. The village was the gay community in New York. It always shifts. Were For a while, it was Chelsea. Now it's Hell's Kitchen. But when they say the village, it was the gay village, village. which is where Stonewall was. Were these guys gay? Yeah. Okay. A few of them have died of AIDS. Yeah. Most of them, there's only one living member, I, I think, just oh, there because I, there was uh, the, the Trumpers. They uh, they play this at the Trump rallies. And so, and YMCA. Yeah. But all their, a lot of their songs had double entendres to be like, we're singing about gay stuff, but it's the 70s, so we can't come out and say Were it. they openly and out gay at the time, or was it the YMCA? Uh, it was, well. Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, well, here's the thing Anderson Cooper says he was out, but nobody who knew he was gay, I don't fall for That's You're not out then, boo. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you're not out. Well, I mean, so I think these people were out in their personal lives, but if no one knows, you know, you've yeah. been a celebrity quote for decades and nobody knows that you're gay, then you're not out. You're trying to have it both ways, which is fine. I get it. Well, no, he was only trying to have a one way, the gay way, but <laughs> both ways would have been my so way. Sideways. That's, um, that's never mind. <laughs> but yeah, the village people, that y, YMCA was the most popular, but they sang Macho Man and In the Navy. But the so the these single room rented rooms at the YMCA kind of faded out. And for one, it was because the the whole during the Reagan years demonization of poor people. Mm. Like if you're poor, you're bad. So why are we offering all these cheap rooms to all these people? And then the mayor at Koch at the time, who was gay, came out. Well, he never officially came out, but people I was about were to like, say, he did come out. Well, he was one of those people that were openly gay but not openly gay. But he um, was big. He was trying to enforce this big building boom in New York. So it's, let's oh, okay. get rid of all these cheap buildings and let you build. And then the AIDS crisis came, and they were, you know, the health crisis of having all these men congregate in certain rooms, kind of ended it. So there are very few YMCA's to this day that have, still have the ability to be able to rent a room. I was about to say all the Y's that are open in Houston. I mean, they don't have rooms, or they're not. Mini bathhouses. Every Y I've ever known in any city is just a gym. Yeah, it's a yeah. public gym. Yeah, they offer. But, I mean, what's their purpose now? They uh, they have classes for the community. Like, oh, I don't know. I'd say it's mostly. I, I stopped doing research. I'd say it's mostly <laughs> exercise. Yeah. I mean, but you know, it is kind of interesting. When I first moved to Houston, um, there was a YMCA downtown 
and it was an older building. Um, it was right next to where like Chevron has a campus. So there's like yeah. three or four buildings. Um, and so right before the previous crash, there was a Chevron was going to expand. So they bought the building. But when I first moved there, moved here, the YMCA was known for like, oh, if you want to get action, go really? to the downtown. Yeah, go to the I downtown Y because apparently they have. When like I first a, came out, it was still the Y was kind of like that's where you go. I didn't know that. Well, the downtown I one. Got it it's, for cheap. Apparently they had, and I never went, but they had like in the men's locker room. That's where they had like the sauna, jacuzzi, and everything. And so it was like known that like yeah, you just go sit there, and when somebody's did, like, did you ever go? I didn't know. No. Part of me kind of wanted to. I was like, because I mean, you had to be a member. It's not like you could go by the day. It's like, oh, do you want to sign up for a monthly membership or not? You know? I was going to say, I feel like. Gym. It was I a gym. I feel like if I, I never went to the YMCA, but I never hooked up at the gyms. But I feel like the, the gyms, like uh, a few, like back in the two, early 2000s, 2004 or five. Everything was a bit more cruisy, and nowadays, like people don't, they're, it's less cruisy. They don't and have time for it. No, no, I'm, they are more explicit. Like there have been guys, like so 2004, like, 2005. The bush, like well, yes, and just not to get, well, I will we'll get bolder. Okay, graphics. But yeah. uh, in 2004, 2005, there would just be guys wrapped in towels and they would just grab themselves and like kind of stare at you from the corner. Um, and nowadays, it's like the guys have no towels on and they have just erections like, like oh okay, comes nice. like yeah and the and the and so it's like they have, they have no care they don't care <laughs> i mean in there's some cruising going on but it's very explicit like there's it's not like a side eye it's like i'm staring at you will yeah. you go into the shower with me and i'm like um and what do you say when they give you that look i am a christian i do not do that i do have like um a couple of like a couple of older friends that like monogamous couple together for years but they pretty at Corona, like they go to the gym all the time and they're like, oh, it's so cruisy. And like, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should go. I'm a candle. Like, I'm like, maybe I should but, go but work it, out. It, <laughs> it, it's more cruisy now, but in a sense, no, it's not more cruisy. Or not cruisy, but no, it's, it's more, more like a hookup. Yeah. It's like, we are going to do, like, you're not shy about it. Whereas in 2005, and I'm thinking that's. No, the I think time. their thing was more. Some people's objective is not to get a good workout on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's like, yes. they're, there they're like, them. oh, because they're literally like, you know, they're older and like, they're like, oh, let's just go, you know, get our exercise on. And like, you know, some people go there for other stuff. Like, oh, maybe yeah. I should join the gym. Well, different times. YMCA, huh? That's given us, uh, you guys all thought it was just a song. It's definitely not just that, huh? You know, what's not else. What else is just not Lips that? Lips ain't just for singing anymore. <laughs> Economy works is not just for my lips ain't for singing. That. Oh wow! <laughs> leading into a leading to, into economy works with all of the the good accolades there. Economy works believes in the power of connection. If you're a company that needs to pr- uh, project support to tackle your to do list like benchmarking, analysis, uh, doing social media marketing, hiring people, Economy Works wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over 600 years of experience. Let's let's correct that. Let's update that. 800 years of experience and growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. Economy works when we work. The economy works. Find out more at economyworks.com. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S.com. All right. That's another fun episode. Episode one of season two. In the books. 
All right, you guys are in a second season. You were very seasoned. Season premiere. We could call you. We could call <laughs> season you. Season premiere. We could call you seasoned, Kendall. Mm, Tony's. Oh, he's seasoned. Seasoned, shit. seasoned with Tony's. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's what y'all probably talked about on your. You're like, I always like a Tony seasoning. Is that how you try oh, to? Oh, when we run, yeah. Tony is, that, is that how you try to hook up with Tony when back in your single days? It hasn't filmed me yet. <laughs> oh wow! All right, Our grinder days. Spicy. Yes. <laughs> Salty. That's. Uh, I was like, I'm not into the salt. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for High listening to loading sodium. Our podcast this week with us, giving us your time, giving us the hour and a half or so, however long. Hopefully, it's not a two-hour episode. Actually, if it's two hours, so two-hour episode. Thank you for listening to us and kicking with us this week. A special thank you to our friend and loved one who keeps our sound and check gets our episode out every week. That's Spencer. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Spencer is a co-host on Our Spoopy Podcast, which we mentioned earlier. You can find them at ourspoopypodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe so you can hear future episodes. You can visit our website at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. And you can follow us on Twitter at Talk Gay Stuff. Hey, leave us a review. We love those five-star reviews. Give it just it's, There's five stars on there, and you just press the fifth one, and we're good. And if you don't want to do it in public, you can drop us a line at let's talk about gaystuff.com. Pray about it. At, wait, let's talk about gaystuff at gmail.com and we'll keep it a secret. But just kiki with us. Let us know what you're what you're thinking. Give us some feedback. What do you want to hear us talk about on this episode? We're happy to take your uh, recommendations. So from the Listen Works Network and the host of Let's Talk About Gay Stuff, we're here. We're queer. We'll see you at the YMCA. <laughs>